Why do you think people are going to like this episode? I'm going to tell you about a rape victim. But more importantly, I'm going to tell you about the rapist and his attorney and how they used and abused the justice system to publicly humiliate and shame her with the hopes she would just go away. All of this funded by the Catholic Church. This is Maria's story. Welcome to Socialite Crime Club. I said this is Maria's story, but I want our listeners to understand I've changed her name uh, to protect her anonymity. I don't want her known. That's good. She's a 44-year-old female. She's married. She has two children. And she's very, very devout Catholic. Um, She goes to the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Homestead, Florida. And she's a volunteer there. She actually teaches some different classes there. Um, she does a lot with the church. Like this is her community. It's her sense of community, if you will. Um, she's extremely good friends with one of the priests there, okay. uh, Father Philippe. Philippe? I think Philippe. it's Philippe. Yeah, Philippe. Jean-Claude Philippe. Jean-Claude Philippe. Um, Don't do that again. Okay, sorry. Uh, Jean-Claude is... Uh, in his mid-60s, so about 22 years older than Maria. Very much a father figure, like they're tight. Um, he married her. He is the godfather of one. You mean he acted as the priest <laughs> to marry her? Yes. I'm sorry. He officiated her wedding, her wedding to her current husband. <laughs> okay, that's good. I made that father <laughs> thing really creepy. All of a sudden, father became daddy. Um, all right, so yes, but he's also the godfather of one of her children. Um, He's gone on vacations with her family. He's over at the house from time to time. Like, they're tight, right? So the idea here is Maria, very devout Catholic, very involved in the church. It's her entire community, super close to this uh, She's very priest. kind to the priest in her church. Very kind to the priest. And he has a major role in her life as a father figure. And I'm saying that outside the, the context of okay. Father Philippe, if you will. Um, and like you said, we are talking about Jean-Claude Philippe. And I am no longer, from this point forward, I'm not going to refer to him as a father or a priest because he doesn't deserve it. So okay. he will just be John Claude. Good. Okay. Uh, for the rest of this episode. Got it. Um, he, going into this case or going into when this incident is going to occur, he's returning from Israel. He did a little sabbatical. What year are we talking about here? 2018. Okay. So it's uh, late summer, early fall, 2018, he goes over to Israel and he's coming back from Israel. And apparently he picked up some souvenirs, maybe a gift or two for Maria. And when he gets back to Florida, he wants to meet up with Maria. Um, However, she's sick. So they've had some communications back and forth and ultimately on, and I want to make sure we really nail the timeline. Uh, The the timeline on this one is going to be really important. Okay. So on Monday, October 29th, 2018, right? It's a Monday. He is going to text her through WhatsApp. And essentially what he's texting her is, Hey, how are you feeling? And she responds that I'm still sick, but I'm feeling a little bit better. And he recommends that she should drink some lemon juice. 
Lemon juice. Okay. Apparently yeah. that's going to yeah. fix her and make the her The vitamin better. C, the acidity in it. They're sure. So Packed with nutrients. Right. More importantly, he makes it very clear. I am still expecting you here tomorrow at 7 p.m. To see, Regardless of how you feel. Yes. To see your souvenirs, would you please be here? Um, and she acknowledges, yes, I am still planning on coming over tomorrow. Okay. Um, the reason I'm kind of trying to emphasize this, there is no debate about this conversation. This isn't a recollection of what she's saying. It's not a recollection of what Jean-Claude it's is saying. It's not a he said, she said. It's a. This is a physical forensic extract from her phone of the conversation. So okay. we know without any questions, this conversation happened. They are supposed to meet on Tuesday, the 30th at 7 p.m. Okay, All right, so it. as we move into Tuesday, the 30th at 7 p.m., as Maria is driving over to the church, she's early. So she calls Jean-Claude. Hey, I'm just down the street. I'm almost there. Going to be there in a few. Okay. Meet me in the office. So when she parks, she goes into the main office of the church. Jean-Claude meets her in the office and then takes her to the rectory. The rectory. I hate that word. Why? I don't know. It just sounds so... You can say it. Catholic. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't like that word. <laughs> For people who don't know what the rectory is, which I didn't, like it's no big deal. Some people just aren't really into the Catholic religion. I did not know what the rectory was, so I had to look into it. The rectory is a small home or a house that either is attached to the church or it's on the church grounds, and it's typically where the priest... Or it's within live. close proximity of the church. Right. Right. I think, isn't there some dumb reference in Pride and Prejudice? Yes. Yeah. He talks about the somebody's rectory abutting his small abode. Abutting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the rectory. Um, essentially, this is the house at the church that Jean-Claude lives in. Okay. So he meets her in the front office, takes her to the small house that's on the Catholic church grounds. Okay. Uh, they are in the living room kitchen area, which apparently it's pretty small, all to combine one area. And he is going to give her an aloe vera drink. And he explains <laughs> to her like, hey, I've got this special drink. It's made of aloe vera. It's supposed to be really healthy. I know you've been sick. This is going to make you feel better. It's like aloe vera juice. Okay. I've never drank yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she accepts the drink. Uh, he pours into a cup, gives her the cup. She starts to drink the cup. Mm -hmm. And I don't know all the history. It's a little bit shady here, and I'm not going to call her up and ask her. So all I know is that she has some type of a shoulder issue. And there's a conversation about how's her shoulder feeling, and it's still bothering her. And he offers to put anointed oil on it. And you, you're going to know much more about this than I am. Well, the anointing oil, so there's different types of oils that are used in Catholicism. So let me preface this by saying I have not been a good Catholic in years, like mm. a lot of years. That's a freaking understatement. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> However, so there's different oils, right? So there's they're used for different things. So for instance, one type of oil is used for healing which right. it sounds like he was going to use on her. So oh, he's going to heal her. They put it on, it's typically only put on the forehead of the sick person and their hands. And so would you put it on the shoulder? And that seems odd, right? Maybe, I don't know. But then they also use it for catechumens, which is like um, people who are becoming Catholic. So it's just before baptism. And then there's a special oil, even more special oil that it can only be 
blessed by like the bishop, but it's even it's more sacred because they actually add, for instance, like balsam to it and cinnamon and myrrh and different fragrances and other oils that make it even more special. But it's used in the ordination of priests or prophets, but it's also used only in the coronation of queens and kings. So it's also used in the confirmation process of new Catholic, of Catholics confirming <sighs> that they're Catholic. I'm going to say this with the least amount of offense that I can. Okay. In explaining all that, at any point, did you feel a little bit weird? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So you're acknowledging like it, it well, does sound weird well, that I can make this is, oil and I can put it on you and it's going to heal you. Well, it's, it's olive oil, right? It's like now, olive hang on. oil. From, I cooked up some mean tacos the other night and I used mm -hmm. olive oil and it did heal me. High quality olive oil. So, but yeah, it's, it's essentially olive oil um, and they source it typically out of Jerusalem. So in researching this episode, I wanted, I didn't want to come across as a complete moron. So I did research a little bit about, okay, what's up with the oil? It also cast out demons. Yes. Okay. And that piqued my interest. So I'm like, okay, I want to look at this a little bit more. Like the oil gets rid of demons. And then I actually found some documentation about exorcisms. Okay. And that this oil is also used in exorcisms. Okay. Yes. Yes. They'll use it in exorcisms. Which well. I didn't understand at first. Like how does oil, how does olive oil keep the demons out? Mm -hmm. But then I found a really good article in Vice magazine that made total sense. Oh, okay. If you are possessed, then you need an exorcism like you're possessed. Yes. If your house is possessed... Okay. It's not a possession. It's an infestation. Like cockroaches. Kind of, but you have demons in your house. They're not possessing you. They're possessing your house. Okay. Well, if you have a priest come over and they do an exorcism. Could you please pick up your shoes? <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> the demons. You put your dishes in the dishwasher. <laughs> hey, if you're going to be here and harass me, at least clean some shit up in the process. Yeah, you can't be here otherwise. And where all of a sudden it totally makes sense to me. Where I'm like, well, that's logical. This priest explained that if they use holy water in the exorcism as an infestation, as soon as they leave, the water evaporates, the demons come back. Uh, but if you use oil or salt, apparently you can also bless the salt, mm. it doesn't evaporate and it provides longer protection. And then I'm like, well, that totally makes sense. This sounds very pagan. <laughs> kind of. The salts, the oils. Okay. And then I ran across another article to which I concluded, okay, I think the exorcism thing has somewhat been debunked. Um, and it's kind of interesting. On October 17th of 2020, two priests, mm -hmm. one in Portland, Oregon, one in San Francisco, California, decided at the same time, it was coordinated, at the same time they were both going to perform an exorcism in each city. So the priest in Portland was going to cast out all the demons in Portland, and the priest in San Francisco was going to cast out all the demons. So this was an infestation yes. type of exorcism. See? Yes, it was an, an infestation. Okay. I think we can all agree it didn't work. Like, I don't know if anybody's been to San Francisco lately, but holy shit. Maybe they didn't get quality oil. Or enough of it. And what I'm thinking yeah. is they need like 47 cargo ships full of this holy oil in yeah. the bay. They just need to dump it into the sea. Yeah, and just let it go. Yeah. But anyway, it was interesting to me that he starts this relationship with her this day using this oil. Um, and you're going to see why this is so profound. And I know we kind of went off on a tangent there. But yeah. to me, I, th I think I have to address that it's weird that 
this man is rubbing her with oil. With the holy oil, the something holy that's oil. very sacred to him and her. Yes, as an investigator, as a detective who's done an incredible amount of sexual assault cases, it immediately gave me the EBGBs. I was like, okay, right. this is not good. Now, I want to also clarify, she's fully dressed. I don't want people thinking like, oh, what is she allowing to happen here? And mm -hmm. she's very clear. She just pulls like the side of her shirt off. So the top of her shoulders exposed. And this is how this is happening. So she's looking at it as a potential healing yes. process. Yes. Okay. From a fatherly figure who is apparently, allegedly a priest. Who I'm not going to okay. acknowledge. John Claude. Um, she remembers sitting in a chair. She remembers this happening. She remembers looking at luggage. And then she doesn't remember anything for two hours. Hmm. Okay. She's out, which has got to be scary, right? Yeah. Um, two hours later, she's going to wake up. She is in a bed she doesn't recognize. Okay. So imagine yourself in this position. You wake up, you're like, oh my God, I don't know where I'm at. Right. She is completely nude. <gasps> no clothes. And this guy, Jean-Claude, is standing over her. I think smeal. Correct. A hundred percent. That would be very scary. Oh, it gets worse. Oh, I wasn't picturing him looking like that. Well, I wasn't I, picturing I, this being. I the couldn't priest. find the real picture of what ha it looked like at this time. Like he's wearing a nice suit here, which those of you at home go to our YouTube channel and you can see the actual picture here that I have. But he looks he's dressed in a jacket and a shirt. In this actual He looks incident, like a foreign dignitary or he does. something. He does. You, yeah. You, yeah, 100%. However, let me make this a little bit more grimy. He's not dressed. When she looks up from the bed, he's standing next to the bed over her. He's only in his underwear. Oh, no. He is profusely sweating, oh. like just sweaty as can be. He has a noticeable wet spot on his underwear. So... Hang on. He's wearing his underwear. She sees him in his underwear. Yeah. He's completely naked except for underwear. And he has a noticeable wet spot in the general area of his penis on his underwear. I'll let no. you take a minute. The The thing is, is that I, f I would feel her panic simply because I envision him, this type of guy, in these whitey tidies. Like... He doesn't really wear good underwear. <laughs> and he's just in these whitey tidies and there's like a big wet spot on his underwear. And I'm, I'm that, on the bed like looking at him like, oh, I God. love the fact that you're like, okay, this all sucks. It's a really bad situation. But for the love of God, could you get something other than the whitey tidies? Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Help what, me. That's what gets you. Okay. Um, she's very modest. Extremely modest. She okay. is a good Catholic girl and okay. she's very modest. So she immediately realizing she's naked. She tries to cover herself up. Okay. In doing so, she realizes she is full of oil. Like her entire body is an oil slick. Like the Kim Kardashian yes. picture in episode yes, one. Yes, in paper. Yes. She is completely oiled up. When she puts her hand over her pelvic area to try to give her a little bit of modesty. Right. She feels a wet spot. <gasps> like a known wet spot the next part's going to disturb you okay and our listeners she smells what she recognizes quote as the pungent odor of semen unquote uh, uh. now i want you to think for a second you're sitting in a chair 
this father figure, alleged priest, is applying this holy oil to heal your ailments. Mm-hmm. You remember seeing luggage, and the next thing you remember is what I just described to you. You're out. You're like, what? You start wondering what he gave to you. Why am I here? Like, what is yeah. happening, right? And right. I think there's no way any normal person's going to hide this panic. Did she even get her souvenirs that he brought for her? No, no. There's no discussion of souvenirs. The whole reason she, she went She comes over there. in, she drinks, she gets the oil, and then bam, she wakes up and this is happening. Okay. Oh, that was creepy as shit. The picture behind you just fell. Oh, I like where we're headed with this episode. So what's funny is I did read some exorcism prayer that it said, do not pray this out loud. This is only to be said by a priest. And And you you did it out loud. Yeah, I read like the first few lines out loud just because I wanted to be rebellious. Yeah, And those of you watching, and if you're listening, you've got to watch. We just had a picture like totally move on the wall. Oh, we're going to keep going with this one. Okay, so she realizes at this point, like, it's obvious that, hey, what the hell? What is going on here? And he sees this. Okay. It's the word she uses to describe this that really creeps me out. Okay. He forcibly hugs her. Like, she's kind of, like, obviously, like, So she's trying away. to get out of the bed, and he yeah, just Yeah, and he's, like, her. trying to, like, that side hug that's really forced but it's what he says. Well, he's like sweaty. Sweaty in his underwear with this wet stain in the front. And he's going to say, everything is okay. Nothing bad happened. Oh my God. Things that I don't ever want to experience is waking up in the rectory of a priest who just drugged me and I'm naked and he says nothing bad happened. Right. Yes, this is horrible. We, we We have to broach this subject. Okay. This is not the first Catholic who's been in this position. Well, with this guy? I would say just in general, but yes, (laughs) with this guy as well. (laughs) Like we have to, we're going to get into this in a little bit. Nobody is surprised who's listening right now that we're talking about a Catholic sex abuse scandal. Right. Okay. Um, Okay. So as we start to move on, she sees that her clothes are neatly folded in a chair next to the bed. She gets up and I think this is very telling. She immediately bolts to the chair she gets dressed and she's gone and i think people at home need to really think about this later on as as we start to get through this what our victim just experienced is date rape there's no doubt and if there's ever an omg wtf moment this i think we it. can all agree yeah we need to that put those, that on the shirt those two go together at this time yeah. omg WTF. wtf yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe we'll put that in the swag store maybe that would be fun yeah okay so I can't tell you because law enforcement's not going to know what he used to drug her, but she was drugged. And most most of the time when we see cases like this, it's what's called GHB. Okay. Um, and GHB is gamma hydroxybutyrate. Um, okay. It first came on in the weightlifting scene, like late 70s, early 80s. Like is this the same thing as a roofie? Or? It's what people will commonly refer to. Roofie is rohypnol, a little bit of a different complex as far as the chemical composure, but it's very similar. Okay. Um, what's interesting to understand here is this was actually used by weightlifters back in the late 70s, early 80s, because there was this belief that if you completely passed out and you got this super, super deep sleep, that's when your body produced the most growth hormones. Mm-hmm. And it was really healthy as a weightlifter to basically be as unconscious as possible. <laughs> so they were using GHB and they would take a shit ton of it to literally make themselves pass out. Pass out. To 
like increase the rate of their muscle growth. Correct. Um, the problem with GHB is what's what's called a half life. It's how long it stays in your body. It has a really short half life. So, okay. for example, in the urine, it is detected for up to twelve hours. Oh, that's really short. It's super short. Okay. Blood test eight hours. Saliva six hours. So if you think about, hey, I'm going, I'm hanging out in a bar, some dude roofies me or pours this GHB in my glass, I pass out, he does whatever he does to me, and we're going to change this up in a minute. It's not mm -hmm. always females who are the victim. Right. Um, I come to the next morning, I'm trying to process, did something happen? As soon as I hit the 12-hour mark of when I drank that, it's gone. There's no way to test it, except for one. And uh, this is a really good lesson for any law enforcement that's listening Pay attention right now. Or nurses. Or nurses or anybody. Like if you have a family yeah, or member. Or victim. Yeah. And this is super important. GHB is detectable in hair. So what's important to understand here is I come in as a victim. I think I had date rape issue. Something happened. I'm talking to the detective. They pluck a hair. It's 12 hours later. It's not in my hair. They send the hair off. It's going to come back negative. Because the hair has to grow out. It has to grow out. However, if I come in and I report a potential date rape issue, and then two weeks later, I come back to the police department, they pop out that hair, they send it off to the lab, they'd be able to tell me that I have GHB in my system. And it has to come out with the root. Yes, correct. Um, very few law enforcement agencies are doing this. And in this case, we don't get it. So it's, it's gone. Um, if people at home are curious, like, well, wait, what, what is GHB? Number one, it's a liquid. It's not a pill. And it's odorless, it's colorless. Here's what happens when you get GHB. You become very sexually aroused. Mm. You lose all inhibitions. And then you pass out. <laughs> so And memory loss. And memory loss is the last one. You do not remember any of that. And this is really, really important for our listeners to understand when, you know, I've seen a lot of date rape type allegations or females who come back and say, that wasn't me. Like, I was drugged. And then somebody will show a video and like she's partying it up and she's ripping off her clothes yeah. and we're like, look, she and wanted she's it. she's acting out sexually. What they don't understand is that is the drug. Like people who know what they're looking at is like, do we need any further evidence that she was drugged? Like she's never right. done that before. And this is an isolated incident. Where, Especially yes, when they know somebody's character. Yes. By the way, there's one thing that severely, dramatically increases the effects of GHB. Any idea what that might be? No. Alcohol. <gasps> oh. So if you're drinking and somebody puts GHB in your alcoholic drink, everything we just described, times 10. Wow. So, yeah, it, it's an issue. Um, we're going to go on a road trip. Okay. Where? Oh, we're going to go all over. So stand by. I challenge our listeners to simply Google priest date rape drugs take that road trip with us okay we're going to start in 2002 in davenport iowa oh it's davenport, a nice small iowa. little town yeah, it's well depending on where you're at there is a priest at a local catholic church jeffrey windy jeffrey windy is into the bodybuilding scene and him and his buddies even though he's a priest he, him and his buddies are producing ghb I'm sure his priest outfit looks really good over a built body. Okay. However, where do you think Jeffrey lives? In a rectory. In a rectory. Where do you think the GHB lab is at? 
In his rectory. In the rectory. Why do you think Jeffrey has a GHB laboratory in his rectory? Because nobody goes there. And he's using the church's name to purchase all the precursor chemicals needed to make GHB. So these idiots come up with this idea that there's certain chemicals you have to buy to manufacture GHB. Well, DEA pays attention to this shit. Like anybody who's bought Sudafed and you have to sign your name. Yeah. Well, that's because if you sign your name 14 times in one day throughout the city, DEA is like, okay, he's got a meth lab. The chemicals used for GHB, same thing. So what they were thinking is they could justify it as a church. So like he's ordering 25 gallons of solvent at a time to be delivered to the church. And DEA is like, "Mm, there's a lab in that church. So they end up popping Jeffrey. He goes to prison. Good. I think he did like, I don't know, I'm going to guess around 10 years. I don't recall the exact it was a decent amount of time okay guess what happens when priest jeffrey gets out of prison he asked for his job back and they gave it to him he becomes a priest again and they just embraced him right you well, where you did he do. go do you know uh chicago parish? and he got in trouble again and this time they kicked him out and i don't remember the whole issues he talked to somebody he wasn't supposed to talk to I, it, it doesn't matter but let's continue our road trip okay get in the plane in davenport iowa we're gonna fly to Louisiana. Okay. New Orleans. Oh. We have another priest. Okay. Now this priest, I got to give a little bit more credit. He's not going to wear his priest get up and we're not going to do anything in the rectory. So at least this priest is a little better. He's trying to act with a little bit of morality. Yes, but he likes to cruise for guys in the French Quarter. And what he specifically is looking for is very drunk males or lost males, which he befriends, buys them a drink, gives them a little GHB, And then he takes them back to his house. The rectory. No, he doesn't live in the rectory. Oh, okay. Um, However, when he gets them back to the house, he starts to undress them and puts them in certain sexual poses and starts to photograph and videotape them. (gasps) Then he starts to have all kinds of sexual encounters. Make no mistake, they are unconscious, which he again photographs and videotapes. He has an entire network where he shares these photographs and video of him molesting these unconscious males (sighs) online. Um, He was recently indicted on 17 different charges. Um, He got 25 years in prison. They think there's up to 60 other victims they haven't identified yet. Oh, no. It's all GHB and a priest. And they know the other, there are other potentially 60 victims from the videos. Correct. Now, that's a really screwed up story. And I have to tell you, I'm reading this story mm-hmm. and I get to the end of the story. And it's the one thing that really gave me because I've read some pretty screwed up stories in the past. And I get to this one part and I had to stop and I've caught myself staring at the screen for like two minutes. Like, guess what church he was at in New Orleans? Sacred Heart. No. What church? The Church of Immaculate conception <laughs> the church of immaculate conception i don't know why that caught me but Nothing's i was like being conceived <laughs> no. without he's doing this no okay let's get back on our road trip we're going to take off from uh new orleans you're going to like this one we're going to spain i love spain just recently in spain 2023 there is a priest who is traveling with the church congregation to different types of vacation outings and conferences And he's using GHB to drug female parishioners and take them back to his room where he is sexually assaulting them. This priest goes a little bit further, and he likes to take their underwear as a trophy. Oh. 
Now, I don't He's know. that kind of guy. That guy, yep, right. So I don't know the whole dynamics, and I'm not even going to pretend that I do. He has, he's in a relationship with a female. And like mm-hmm. when I first read this, I thought, I didn't think priests were allowed to be. Um, no. But he's in a relationship. This means he has a mistress. No, she lives with him because she comes across, he's videotaping as well. She comes across some of his stuff where he's raping these women. She reports it to the archdiocese. Mm, I'm sure that went over well. They didn't do anything. Of course they didn't. He moves to a different church at his own request. So now they're separated for a while. She flies over to visit him. And while she's visiting him, she sees stuff on his computer apparently. Okay. That shows he's still doing it. She reports him a second time. And? You know what's gonna go. Nada. Nada. So at this point, she's like, screw it. I'm going to the cops. And she took the computer and went to the cops. So now the cops Good. have the laptop. Oh, awesome. And all of this evidence. So he just got indicted. Um, and these are just some of the more prolific cases. But mm-hmm. I want our audience to understand when we think priest, sex abuse scandals, everybody thinks kids. It is just as profound with adults. And it's drugging them. Like, it is out of control. It was really interesting when I saw this, like, there needs to be some awareness with this. Yeah. I think the moral of the story here is don't ever consume any liquid a priest gives you. And I, I'm sure for some people that's really going to screw up the whole yeah. sacrament thing. It also seems to me that the recruitment pool of priests is really drying up nowadays. Well, that's hard to imagine. Like, hey, come to us. You can never be in a sexual relation. You have to live in the rectory, which sounds like rectum to me. Yeah. And it's a great life of servitude. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because I was reading some article about how there just aren't very many priests anymore. And <laughs> no the shit. idea here is that so the Pope actually gave some speech not too long ago. I don't remember which Pope it was, but he's talking about how Catholics just don't want families anymore. People would rather have cats and dogs as their children. It's less likely they're going to get yeah, sexually assaulted uh, by the priest. Probably. And they started talking about how because there aren't these big families anymore, parents aren't willing to give up a child to priesthood. <laughs> so typically, <laughs> it's more common that families with three or more children, specifically Catholic families, actually have somebody who goes into the priesthood. So the issue for the Catholic Church is that people just aren't having enough children and apparently they're not taking their cats <laughs> yeah yeah we don't take go cats. figure okay we're gonna go back to our case so we got off on a little tangent there but i want people to understand that this is not an isolated incident okay so we're talking about october 30th uh it's a tuesday between what we believe is 7 to 9 p.m and, and i need to explain why do we think it's between 7 and 9 p.m because we have a whatsapp text message that says meet me at seven o'clock at the rectory Right. Mm-hmm. And she's there for what she thinks is roughly two hours. When she goes there, she goes into the rectory. She remembers that when she gets dressed and comes out, she's coming out of the rectory. So we know it happened at the rectory Tuesday, October 30th, we believe between 7 and 9 p.m. There's going to be some reports later on. We're going to talk about how it's a delayed report. Um, it's not delayed, though. So over the next couple of weeks, she confronts Jean Claude about, hey, what happened? What's going on? Do we know how she confronted him? Was it, did she go to the church? Was it, did she just call him or? In person and over the phone. He okay. avoids her. He ignores her. He deflects. He will not talk about it. She stops going to mass. Is that he is officiating? officiating. Yeah. Ultimately, 
she's going to stop going to this church altogether. Okay. But she gets really frustrated. She hasn't told anybody that this happened. So she goes to the senior clergyman, uh, the entire church, if you will. And uh, I've got to look at this name because I'm going to totally screw it up. Where are we at? Silverio Rueda. Silverio Rueda. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, anyway, when she tells him that this is what happened, she explains the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I've got to look at this because i got to quote this one. He replies, things happen, and they happen for a reason. You have been touched by God. <gasps> and then he tells her, if you say anything, you're only hurting the church. <gasps> and he does this little hand movement over her mouth. Like the be quiet gesture. Like, shh. Yes. And then he's like, my child... I'll send you with the blessing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the shut the fuck up. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it was. And she's oh, and by the out. way, when you get home, say 25 rosaries. Yeah, because you're at fault. Just for good measure. <laughs> yeah. You were naked, by the way. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> holy shit. And I think... That is terrible. People who are not devout Catholics need to give our victim just a second pause here and understand this is her entire world this is her community this is who she is she identifies herself with this she has just been cast out of her community like it's it it, we make fun of it with some of the things we're poking on some of this but it to me it is truly sad like and you'll see i'm gonna get medieval pissed off well it's a part of her identity is what makes it sad yeah well and she's dedicated so much sacrificed so much for this and then just that abuse that like nonchalant like just that just casting go. out yeah it, and then it gets worse this is all going to come out later on and he gets confronted the the senior clergyman okay what was his name again silverio yeah um he gets confronted and he actually says it's absolute lies i never said that <gasps> i don't know who she is but from what i've heard she's a liar and she invents stories see this is the kind of guy that I just want to kick in the neck. <laughs> that surprises me. Um, and again, the impact on a person who's this devout to the Catholic religion. This is the senior guy now. It's traumatic. Oh, it's yeah, it's done. So she leaves the church. She's not the Catholic church. She leaves that parish. This is physical. how devout she is. She leaves that physical church oh, okay. and she finds another one. Okay. Because she's not going to give up on the religion, and, and I have to respect her for that. Right. Um, she stops attending the masses with Philip altogether. She moves church. Four months are going to pass, and I think this is very telling. And again, every once in a while, I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to explain to our audience, she hasn't told anybody. She hasn't filed a lawsuit. She's not telling her husband. She's not picketing the church. She just went and did her own thing. She's just carrying around this heavy burden This crazy burden. About four and a half, five months later, she's going to go to this Christianity course. And I would give you the Spanish name, but I would butcher it. It's a three-day, like, retreat, if you will. Okay. Um, for Catholics. Part of the little courses that you get during this three-day thing is sexual abuse in the Catholic Church because it is a thing. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, like, the transparency, and it's really important for everybody to hold each other accountable. And if you're aware of any of these incidents, you have to report it. Like, you, the number one issue is covering it up and ignoring it. Correct. So she's, like, it's hitting her. So that day, she goes to confession at the same okay. church. And she tells whatever the priest is, who we don't know who it is, okay. in this confession setting, the entire story. 
he's pissed. Good. Yeah, he finally complete different reaction. Finally, he's like, "This is wrong." It sounds like to me you're dealing with demons. You have to report this. You, as a faithful member of the Catholic Church, cannot be quiet. I am telling you, as the priest in the confessional right now, you need to act on this. And he basically okay. like tees her up. I'm not going to, <laughs> but you should, which yeah. still just blows my mind. Um, and this is where this victim is no longer going to be a victim. And okay. like, I have mad respect for her. And we're going to get into Good. this as we go, but shit's about to change. She could have gone home. She could have made some phone calls. She doesn't. She drives back to the Sacred Heart Church in Homestead, Florida, to where the actual sexual assault took place. Uh-huh. And she sought out an administrator that she knew there, a female administrator who pretty much ran the church. Anybody who's been in business, religion, schools, I don't care what it is, there's always this female administrator who basically makes the entire place function, right? Like the pulse of the entire entity right. is based on her. So she seeks out this They know all the books, person. they know everybody's secrets. They've... She knows everything. Got it, okay. She seeks out this administrator and she explains the story and she explains what happened in confession. And this is the right person because this administrator is, I know exactly what to do, come with me. They go into her office, they sit down. Together, they craft an email to the Archdiocese of Miami. And I said that that way because the acronym is ADAM, A-D-O-M, Archdiocese of Miami. So when I use ADAM later, you know what it is. They send this email to the ADAM email saying, hey, we have a victim. Um, Adam is going to contact her. She's going to go and do an interview with the Archdiocese of Miami where she reveals everything. They do the right thing and they tell her, you need to tell law enforcement. So she now reports it to law enforcement. But thank you kindly for letting us know the issues that we're going to have coming up for us. I think the best one is that I read is, by the way, if you want to talk to a priest about this, let us know. Oh... MG. Like, oh. is there any more offensive That's thing so that you can say at the time? Like, hey, if you want to be one-on-one with a male priest in a room, let us know and we'll close the door, basically. Oh, my god! Yeah, when I read that, I was like, you idiots. Like, even though you're trying to do the right thing, you're so you ignorant still, to the issues. You just still get it wrong. Yeah, you just re-offend every time you open your mouth. Um, okay, so March 7th, 2019. We are 129 days beyond the incident at this point. Oh, my gosh. Miami-Dade police are finally making contact with her. They're going to interview her, and she gives them everything. i got to give it to Miami-Dade. They're going to kill this case in a good way. Yes. They're on it. Miami-Dade is a great agency. For a big agency, they're a great agency. We've worked a lot of cases with Miami-Dade. Got some good Mm -hmm. friends over there. I've drank a lot of beer with those guys. And they ask great questions when they have when they're looking for help. Yeah, very motivated group of investigators. Um, They're going to do a confrontation call. And for those of you listening that may not know what a confrontation call is, this is where law enforcement, when they get a report like this, they will actually set up a phone call between the victim and the suspect, and they will prompt the victim to bring up a conversation about the incident to see what the suspect says. Some states are what they call two-party states, and those states are really screwed up because both parties have to know they're being recorded, and you can't do a confrontation call. Florida is a one-party state. As long as one person on the phone knows it's being recorded, we can use it in court. This is a great confrontation call. Jean-Claude is going to admit that he put something in the drink. Because she explains, like, I just, something happened. He's like, no, I put something in your drink. That's why it happened. This next part gets really cringy. He tells her that she had an orgasm while he was giving her a massage with the magic oil. 
This is news to her. She hadn't heard this part before. He swears he never penetrated her. He just gave her a massage and she had this orgasm. She confronts him about what she saw when he, she woke up with the underwear and the wet spot. He admits that he had an erection and mm-hmm. that he had also climaxed, <gasps> which was the wet spot. All over her. Well, they didn't get into that much. Um, as she's like, why would you do that? Like, you understand this is not right. It's a violation of her trust. He says, but I'm only flesh and bones. Oh. <sighs> we're, not, we're not even done with cringeworthy shit that he's going to okay, say. Okay, okay, go. So obviously this is enough to arrest uh, Miami PD or Miami Dade drive straight over. They hook him. They arrest him. They bring him back to the police department. They Mirandize him. So this is post-Miranda. This is a legitimate so legal interview. They're checking all the boxes. They're doing everything right. And they explain, hey, here's the deal. He admits everything to them that he admitted on the confrontation call. They do a really good job here. With, and it is a tactic. But they give him a hypothetical. What if we were to tell you that when she got home that day, she was really freaked out about this, and she took the panties, and she put them in a bag, and she saved them. And even though it's five months later, we now have those panties. When we send those panties off to the crime lab, why would your DNA be on those panties? And he said? She grabbed my hand, and she forced my fingers inside of her. He puts it on her. But he admits that his DNA would probably be in and around her vaginal area, which is what they were implying. So he makes bond, and he's out on release. Um, I don't know how he made bond. However, here's what's interesting. In the church, because they now know that they have an issue, he is interviewed by Adam, the Archdiocese of Miami. Okay. He admits everything again, minus the I'm assuming this is like an HR interview of some kind. Yeah, and this is really important. It's a good point you're bringing this up. This is not a protected clergy-to-clergy type interview meeting this Mm -hmm. is a documented meeting for the catholic church between one of their priests and the entity itself on what happened with which means that documentation could absolutely go public or to law enforcement and it will good so he admits the entire thing minus that she had an orgasm he left that part out or that he penetrated her with his fingers of course he conveniently got left out okay okay so let's do a summary of evidence at this point okay um we have the victim's report we have the suspect's confrontation call. We have the suspect's admission to law enforcement post-Miranda review. Um, we have the Adam interview. Okay. Like, this is one of those cases, and I've had several dozen of these cases. This is a plea at this point. Like, a defense attorney's retained just simply to get their client the best plea deal possible. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really strong case. However, new character, Thomas... Rasavi. I think it's Rasavi. How would you pronounce that? R-I-S-A-V-Y. Rasavi? Rasavi. All the names in this case sound so sinister. They are. Silverio. Jean-Claude Philippe. Um, Okay. Rasavi is an attorney out of Florida. Okay. Uh, He's he's actually defended a prior priest sex abuse issue Mm. uh, in South Beach. So he's well known. He's well known. And wait for it. He's private. He's expensive. How does... Is he a Catholic too? He appears to be Catholic from what research I can find. Okay. I can't say how Catholic, but he appears to go to Catholic church. Um, Any idea how Jean-Claude is going to pay a private attorney of Rasavi's Jean-Claude cannot afford Rasavi. Enter the Catholic church. 
they are going to retain Rasavi on behalf of John Claude. This is where this story is really going to piss me off. Well, it did piss me off. Um, they are going to hire a cell phone expert by the name of John Sawicki. And uh, remember that name, Sawicki. Okay. Sawicki. That name sounds sinister too. Sawicki. Yeah, everybody's sinister. We got to explain to our listeners here. I would say search warrants to obtain cell phone records. Very difficult. Now, how many have we been involved with? Thousands. Thousands. When we owned a company that mapped cell phone records for law enforcement, we mapped 2 billion phone calls in the United States over the course of that company. Like when I speak about what I'm about to speak to, I would say we are up there in the top experts in the world on this subject matter. So it's important for our audience to understand when you get cell phone records, especially cell phone records that contain location information, location information you have to have a search warrant, a probable cause search warrant. And if you're not familiar with that, this is the same level of probable cause that it takes a SWAT team to blow your front door off of the hinges, put you down face down at gunpoint and search your underwear drawer. It's that much evidence is required. Which we'll get into a technical talk about cell phone evidence and um, obtaining it in a tea room episode for our, anybody right. who purchases the purchases the technical talk. But we've got to make sure our listeners are tracking. This is not easy to do. Like, you right. really have to articulate this. And it's also when law enforcement does request this type of information, it is hard to get a lot of data. So requesting more than three to seven days is really difficult to do. You being wicked smart is so attractive. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie right now. Thanks. That was really cool. Thanks. So what, what I'll my walk up the badger tonight. How about that? <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> what my beautiful wife is explaining is it's one thing to articulate the probable cause to get the records. It's another thing to articulate the probable cause to get a lot of records. Um, we have a lot of jurisdictions that if you get three or four days, that's actually pretty good. If you can get a month, that's great. We recommend 60 days because you get enough of a, a feel of what's happening with the phone. This defense attorney and his expert are somehow going to convince the court to give them six months worth of data on the victim. Oh my they gosh. use a court order to AT&T to get a six-month set of records on the victim from October 1st all the way to the day that the priest is arrested. Jean-Claude is arrested. I think the thing here that a lot of our listeners may not recognize, or maybe they do, but for a victim, this is such an invasion of privacy. It's one thing if you commit a crime and you're just a terrible person and you're a criminal. You can expect that. Yes. Like you should. That's why you have a burner phone. That, well, that's why you also have a probable cause statement that right. it's very difficult to get this, but it's it is typically difficult for a defense attorney to get that much data on somebody. When I got involved with this case, I had been in this field for 25 years. I've never seen this ever. Like I was blown away when I realized what was happening here, but mm -hmm. it gets worse. You would think like that's pretty bad. Yeah. It's going to get worse. Go quick. AT&T also provides latitude and longitude estimated locations of the device. They have mm -hmm. six months worth of latitude and longitude on her phone. Oh my gosh. Not just the day of the incident, six months. Why would he do that? Because What's the point of that? Because they're trying to intimidate her. They're hoping to find some dirt that somehow they can basically drag her out in public. This is where it gets really bad. So Wiki, being the guy he is, is going to look at these records. He's going to look at a time period roughly from no, October 24th through 
November 2nd-ish, and he's only looking at between 7 to 9 p.m., and he's going to conclude that this meeting never happened because he can't find any evidence that the phone is at the church for a two-hour period between 7 and 9 p.m. So, okay, hang on. So they have six months worth of her records, and he looked at how many days and how much time? About a week. That's all. Why would they get so much other data? Well, trust me, they looked at everything else, did but anybody, she was super clean. Did anybody question him about how much time he looked at? No, not at this point. He writes an official report saying that as an expert in this field, he has determined this meeting never happened. Okay, so then uh, enter Cy Ray. So... Yeah. I see where we're headed. Okay, go. This is victim bullying. There's no doubt about this is victim bullying. They are trying to intimidate, harass, disparage the victim. So that she doesn't show up in court. Yeah, which actually is interesting because in the Florida Bar Rules of Conduct, professional conduct, this is absolutely a violation of the bar. I don't know why he has not, the attorney Thomas Rosevi, whatever his name is, mm-hmm. I don't know why he hasn't been investigated on this. So Maybe you should file a complaint. Somebody needs to file a complaint for sure. Um we are going to get involved at this point. The state attorney's office, I've worked with them on several other cases in the past. They call me up and the prosecutor tells me, he's like, hey, I don't know why the phone records are showing what they're showing. We know that this happened. Everybody's admitted the confrontation call. Like there's three different admissions to this. Can you please take a look at these records and see what's up? And he starts to explain the case and I stop him and I explain to him, hey, where's the church? How long did she think she was there? Oh, by the way, she calls the priest just as she's getting there. Are you ready for this part? Mm -hmm. She has missed calls from her husband while this whole thing was going down. How many times did he call her? Three. When she was leaving the church because she sees the missed calls and she's panicked, she calls him back. We have the best information you can have here. We know where the incident happened. We know a phone call that happened just before and a phone call that literally happens as she's leaving. Yes. So just taking that information, I analyzed the six months. You don't even need to know times to show that she was there. Immediately pops up. It took me 10 minutes. Okay. On October 30th, she arrives at the church at 5 p.m. She leaves at 6.40. So she only had the times mixed up. She was off by two hours. And because the six months, almost six months had passed by the time she reported it, she was relying on the text message that said 7 p.m. Oh, okay. That she makes sense. She was there at 5 p.m. Yes. And what did you find in the rest of her records? It gets even better to support her. Uh, you see that her contact with John claude slowly diminishes after the incident to pretty much nothing. And you see that she never hangs out at the church again. And it just corroborates her story. Corroborates her story. And the records, little to, what's his name? The creepy defense attorney? Yes. I can't remember. This puts a nail in his coffin. Rasavi. Well, it's about to. So I'm going to call the state prosecutor back and I explain everything we just talked about. Like, hey, here's what I found. I'm all in. I don't need a dime. <laughs> you don't have to pay me anything. Good. I will fly to Florida. I will eat the airline ticket. I'll mm-hmm. eat the hotel ticket. I will testify for free. Screw this guy. I remember you going out to Florida for this case, but I feel like we just had so much going on. And stuff like this just happened every day. So yeah, it's like, was, oh, it's a priest. Well, okay. us getting involved happened a lot. Me being this worked up over picking on a victim 
And she's still standing tall saying, this happened, I wanna go to court, which mm -hmm. I have to respect. So yeah, at this point, we're able to point a very different picture and I'm super pissed off. Like anything you guys need, I'm all in. Um, so ultimately we do go to court. I, uh, I fly out to Florida. I'm going to testify on this case and explain that Sawicki is an idiot. Um, okay. The other he's, thing that- He's an alleged expert. You know, this is what pisses me off. In his report, he names her. It's one of the few reports that was generated as part of the court hearings that actually names her, mm -hmm. which I have to think is like, I don't, I've never named a victim like that. Like, why would you do that? Right. And he called, they're he, making her out to be the suspect. He refers to her throughout his report as the alleged victim. <gasps> yeah. Drove me. So yeah, he is the alleged expert. Um, <sighs> he's going to eat it on this case. He's, he's going to look as dumb as he sounds. Um, however, Jean-Claude decides to take the stand. So he is also going to testify. Why would he take the stand? Because he's stupid. He admits to inviting okay. him to the rectory. He admits inv inviting taking, her to the rectory. Oh, sorry, inviting her to the rectory. Okay. He admits taking her in her bed or in his bedroom in the rectory. Oh yeah, I. She was naked. I oh did massage her with the oil, but I never drugged her, and I never penetrated her. I just couldn't leave her alone there. Right. The okay. prosecutor is so dumbfounded about how ridiculous his testimony sounds. He literally says, do you expect the jury to believe this? Okay. At which John Claude looks up, points to the ceiling and says, God first. What does that even mean? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Why would he say that? Theatrics. It's the theatrics of it. I don't know. Oh. And then, of course, the prosecutor's like, well, what about the three different confessions you made? And he says, look, here's what happened with the confession. I was tired. I wanted to go home. I thought if I told the cops what they wanted to hear, they would just let me go. Like, hey, Jean-Claude, did you rape her? Nope. Are you sure? Nope. But it is... 9.30 and I do have a 7 o'clock appointment. I'm also hungry. I'm super hungry. I love some Chick-fil-A. Okay, I raped her. Can I go now? Like, that is literally what he's trying to convince the jury of. Oh that my he gosh. false confessed because he just wanted to go home. Now, the prosecutor on this case <laughs> might know a thing or two about what he's doing. Okay. Somehow, he seats an all-female jury. <gasps> LOL. This is awesome. Yeah. Literally a jury of her peers. Her peers. Uh, they will take all of two hours to convict him. <laughs> so as they should. Good for yeah, them. Like have a good day. This You're, is so awesome. Simply because you have these a group of females literally making such a powerful decision over a priest. Well, not just over the priest at this point. The, the Catholic Church. Make no mistake, there's an extension of the Catholic Church being represented by this slimy defense attorney who is using these horrible bullying tactics to literally humiliate this victim who will not have it. Completely disparage her. Yes. And she stands strong, and I think they see that. Mm -hmm. um, this is where it gets good. Okay. So just for our, our audience, again, on some procedural things here. When you get convicted, there's usually a several month to sometimes it can be a year gap between the jury coming back with a guilty verdict and you being sentenced by the judge for how much prison and there's like thing there's reports like pre-sentence reports that happen during that time so they convict him there's a couple months that pass jean-claude goes back into court for his sentencing and now at sentencing victims have the right to appear in court and make a victim impact statement okay. basically they can address the court and they can say 
why the judge needs to rule whatever way she or he does okay. on the sentence. At the same time, the defendant, Jean-Claude, can also make a statement. The victim in this case shows up, which I love that. She doesn't Good. have to. You know. like, this dude's going to prison regardless, but she mm -hmm. shows up and she explains, you were a father figure to me. You turned my world upside down. Like she makes this really impactful statement. Um, she just comes off really classy. Like she's a class act. Okay. Now it's John Claude's turn to talk. Oh, no. Yeah, you're hitting this one right on the head. Oh. I got to quote this. Stand by. The devil is powerful, but won't change me. I won't change my ways. I will continue on my path. Of course you will. That's his profound statement to the court, to which the court responds. Okay. I can respect that. But that path is a direct path to the Florida Department of Corrections. <laughs> um, so awesome. <laughs> yeah, have a nice trip. Uh, he's going to get eight years. Uh, he could have got 15. I think he should have got 15. I don't think this is his first time. Um, he will be 74. He gets released in 2029. He'll be 74 years of age. What makes you think this wasn't his first time? Uh, that's my big takeaway. I've worked a lot of these cases. He's overly brazen. Um, he had two hours, you know, and, and this is going to sound really bad, but you know, in interviewing, you want to try to as associate with a suspect. You want to try to understand why they're doing what they're doing and how they're doing it so that you can better interview that person. And in going through those interviews thousands of times, there's a couple things that really stand out here. He's not in a hurry. And I think this is really important for our audience well, to understand. Well, he folded her clothes neatly. He laid them on the chair. Yeah, but He was still nude when exactly. she woke up. He didn't even take the time to Let's get dressed. Let's be honest. He could have knocked out whatever he wanted to do, 30, even 45 minutes. Washed her, cleaned her, dressed her, sat her up in his he kitchen. He took his time with her. He was okay with her waking up in the state. He was in no hurry. This only happens after you've had several successful attempts of this and you're starting to get a little bit more emboldened. You're comfortable. Time. His comfort level was raised. I have zero doubt she is his only victim. There's just, I, he's not this far along to do this. Well, and I think what you're saying there is one of the reasons I'm really loving this case. And I'm, I'm really glad you you told Maria's story, but I love this case because our victim became our hero. Oh, 100%. And she is just such a cool case um, from a literal perspective and a figurative perspective because she was literally battling a demon for months, right? And she just kicked its nuts into its throat. And it is a true David and Goliath, but David and Marie and Goliath. Now she's she's our heroine in the story. And I, I don't know, I hope that anybody watching or listening just if they are battling their own demon that we give them some courage to take away right. from from maria's story to keep fighting right well and i think you know i don't want to ever diminish somebody's victim experience it's one thing to be a victim of an incident like this it's another thing to be in victim where it affects your community where literally you're cast out of the community right which she was because there right. was somebody who gave an interview and called her a liar they were a parishioner at sacred a heart fellow parishioner said that she is lying and she will have to deal with god like how horrible to be cast out of this place where you feel you have a sense of belonging, not be able to tell your family, 
right. your children, your husband, and just carry this guilt around with you and also a, a sense of unknowing, right? Well, and so, not that it's easy, but you have to imagine too, like it is always much easier to just try to ignore it and carry on. Right. And instead, not only did she not ignore it, like she got to a point as soon as that confession happened and she finally got a priest to give her just that little push of support, like she was just a yeah. rocket, right? Like she just literally launched a rocket into the entire yeah. diocese. Oh, I awesome. love Maria. Yeah. I will say though, I am excited that our next episode is just a good old fashioned homicide because this Catholic and Mormon <laughs> stuff back to back is really overwhelming. Ah, <laughs> oh, babe, you had me a homicide. <laughs> Not only is it a homicide, it is a three ring circus of homicide. It is crazy now and i'm, I'm going to warn everybody now and we're going to warn them during the episode it's a two-parter it is a very complex crazy homicide it's going to take us two episodes to get through but i am actually like you can we just get to a simple homicide yeah. at this point like i'm done with all these other nonsense I'm in. yeah so until then stay safe have a great week <laughs>